Hello and welcome. I'm Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Today we are joined by the Mockingbird Society, Annie Blackledge, the executive director, and Orion Olson, a network representative, are here. Welcome, Annie and Orion. Thanks for coming today. Thanks so much for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad to have you here. I'll bet there aren't a lot of folks listening that know that that name, Mockingbird Society. So uh, we're here to fix that. Mockingbird Society, if I may, I'll, I'll give you a little bit. It's an advocacy agency, right, organization dedicated to building more awareness and better s- a system of foster care here in the state, right? Correct. Um, lots of people mistake us for an uh, Audubon uh, agency. Okay. Um, we have nothing to do with birds, but everything to do with um, working with young people with lived experience in foster care and or homelessness to advocate for change um, in the system. And we also have um, some practice advocacy that we do as well with the Mockingbird family. And a nonprofit, right? Uh, we are a nonprofit, correct. And, and how long? Let's. I'll go. Keep going with some basics. How long you've been around? And is it a statewide? Is that what was it that is? Right? Statewide. We have. How, we want to talk about how many chapters we have, Orion. Uh, we have seven chapters in the state of Washington. And we're in Olympia, Tacoma, Seattle. Uh, we are also in the Everett area, Spokane, and Yakima. And our Youth Advocates Ending Homelessness has another chapter in Seattle, so there are two chapters. Yeah, you got a couple of key parts, too, that you do, right? There's Advocacy is a big part of this to sort of just change this system, right? I mean, the I don't know if we want a little background on um, foster care in the state a little bit to help people, you know, why are we at a, a place where there need to be changes, I guess, you know? What are the problems and how did we get there? And what is the Mockingbird Society hoping to change? Is it slowly, a little bit at a time, or maybe just wholesale changes? Things got to change, you know, completely. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and I'll, I'll start with this, Orion, and then please um, uh, add some things in. So um, uh, I actually grew up in foster care. I was adopted out of foster care here in the state, um, in Tacoma, and that adoption did not work out so well. When my adopted father died at the age of 12, I went back into foster care on the East Coast. Um, I think it's safe to say that um, uh, most folks are, are used to the idea of, you know, orphanages, that that was something we used to do, and that's how we handled um, children without parents um, and without support. And around 60 years ago, we really revamped that idea and moved into family-based foster care, um, which is the foster care system that we have right now. Um, I will say... Um, Unfortunately, we've gotten away from really that family community-based foster care, and um, states across the nation are really struggling with a crisis right now of not having enough foster parents. Our state is not excluded. And unfortunately, our um, traditional system of foster care doesn't work for everyone. Um, Orion, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the conversation we had the other day about... um, the current foster care system. Uh, yeah, so traditionally um, there is one man, one one woman, basically um, a straight couple being foster care parents or adoptive parents versus allowing room for there to be LGBTQ foster care and adoptive parents uh, in addition to um, being more culturally diverse. So um, typically there's like a cock. Caucasian couple at the head. Why do you think that's important, Orion? It's important because uh, 
one size doesn't fit all. Yeah, um, I, and it sounds logical. Um, there's got to be more ways to take care of such a variety of people than one cookie cutter system. Is is that part of what Mockingbird does to advocate for change, that kind of change? I mean, you said it, actually the foster care system hasn't been around that long, relatively speaking. So they yeah. must have tried one way and said, this is how it works. And really, the, the truth is, is that we made foster care up um, <laughs> uh, with Boy. the best of intentions. But as Orion and I have talked, um, intention doesn't always equal impact. Um, and we have a lot of young people in our foster care system who identify as LGBTQ, who um, don't have the proper supports and um, people engaged in the system to help them make their transitions to adulthood. Um, and we also have um, high numbers of young people of color who are overrepresented in our foster care system as well. And it's important for them to have people who look like them and who come from their culture um, to, to help them and um, help their families. Well, that makes perfect sense that the diversity of the adoptive families ought to look like the diversity of the, of the foster care kids. It's, and you, what you said, we kind of made it up. That boy, that just struck me. As, <laughs> that sounds so ludicrous, but that is what we've done, isn't it? Do counties run these, or is it state it's different. It? It's different from um, from state to state. In our state, um, we run it on a regional basis. So there are six regions across the state, um, which can be fairly large. Um, and one of the other things that um, has transpired over the years is um, young people and children get placed wherever there's an open bed. So you could come into foster care in Yakima and end up being placed in Bellingham oh. um, and really removed from your community and everything that you know because that's where the open bed is. But perversely, the next day, a young person could come into care in Bellingham and end up being placed in Yakima because that's where the open bed is. And I know you and I have talked uh, a bit, Orion, about um, mobility and um, that its impact on us. I was wondering if you would say just a little bit about why um, that's so challenging for young people experiencing foster care. So it's really hard to be uh, moving from place to place because you're trying to decide basically if you can trust somebody or a place, if you're gonna just be there for a night or if you're gonna be there for longer, you're gonna be looking for places that are potentially safe or unsafe, like constantly analyzing and trying to like, um, uh, just constant change is really hard to roll with all the time. And Why school's hard too, right? Mm -hmm. uh, new teachers, new students, new uh, school atmosphere. One might be more accepting of people of color and LGBTQ versus another school district, which might be completely the opposite, oppressive and like. Um, not welcoming of either of those at all. I think well, it's hard to... Oh. Go ahead. Uh, that just sounds so impressive that you've realized that those are potential hurdles in uh, the development of a kid. Well, I think it's fair to say, and, and Orion, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, you know, it, it's really hard to make relationship um, when you're constantly moving, and that's such an important thing for us to have. And schools have different requirements, Right. Can you talk a little bit about your school experience? Yeah, so I actually went to seven different schools throughout my high school career. Um, I dropped out of my first senior year of high school. And um, most recently, there, um, 
I, I, oh, not most recent. I found out that I would have been stuck in high school for at least another two to three years. Um, however, there was a previous uh, bill uh, that Mockingbird, Mock, the Mockingbird Society had advocated for, which would allow for um, partial, credit. partial credit for all previous coursework. Um, and I was able to graduate with this past year, 2018. Yay. <laughs> you know, I've heard from educators, too, that a kid who, you know, and they see them. I mean, the elementary school teachers, uh, doesn't matter, well, any age, but the stability of every day coming to the same school needs to help that kid just to get the academics and the education. But you're talking about the, the roundedness of a whole, I don't know, family type of thing, right? Uh well, can we go there about the stability, what that's needed, and how the Mockingbird Society can change that kind of little part of this? Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you about the Mockingbird oh, family. Good. <laughs> so you call it a family. It sounds like you need there needs to be family here, right? Yeah. Um, we have something called the Mockingbird family. Orion, do you want to describe sort of how it's set up? So it's set to model after ex- uh, extended, extended family, and um, it there is... Uh, so we call them constellations, and at the center of this constellation is a hub home, which is an experienced foster care uh, parent or household that has experience and is is the per, uh, home that everybody else, uh, satellite homes that uh, the satellite homes will reach out to the hub home if they need support with, uh, with a kid, say, someone needs respite care and there's always uh open beds available yep, at the hub home beds. and um uh there's also opportunity for these families to get together and so the kids can get together and like play and just um uh, get familiar with each other and uh, as well as the other adults and grow comfortable in a uh more pretty relaxed setting yeah so. well that sounds interesting so that ha- but that sounds geographic then. Is that right? That ha- to be, what do you call them, hubs and satellite homes, they have to be somewhat close by to be to lend support. That's it's a yes. real support network. But so give me, how does that work then? Well, it depends on um, where you live. So okay. we so have hard we have, to get going. I'm going to guess to get this put down a, a footprint of this put down in the first place. Um. Y- Yes, but not for the reasons you might think. So we talk to folks like we have um, a a constellation in Smoky Point and um, some of these families can be 20 miles apart. But they say, you know, hey, for us, driving to get a quart of milk takes us, you know, 15 miles down the road. Um, So they're able to use technology and things in in more um, uh, rural communities. Um, and then, you know, we've got more geographic proximity, obviously, and more in more urban areas. Um, and I'm wondering, um, do you want to talk a little bit about respite is, what respite is? Um, you had brought that up in your comments, and folks might not know that term. No, respite. Uh, What's up? What are we talking about? Respite is when a youth is expiring, oh, expiring, uh, <laughs> experiencing a crisis, and uh, they need a place that's, like, safe for them to, like, calm, not necessarily. To, to like have a break and uh, from what the environment that they are in there to exp- that they might have been triggered in. Yeah, I think that's one reason. It might also be that a foster parent needs a break. They've got um, a vacation 
planned with, you know, just the parents and um, they need somewhere for their young people to be. Um, it could also be, um, you know, if things maybe aren't working out in one of the satellite homes, that they can go and take a break at the, the foster parents, uh, the hub home parents, their house. So about place to fall back on, a, a built-in safety net. Yes. So being, having respite places that I, I can spend time here or I can give give up some of my responsibilities for a while to someone else? Yes. Oh, awesome. And we hear from foster parents in the traditional system that that is one of the things that is really lacking for them. Um, I'll tell you just a quick little story of um, a family that uh, we are working with down in Tacoma who had six uh, adolescent boys in their home. They had not been on vacation in almost 10 years. Oh. Um, but they felt so comfortable with this community within a community that had been built. What the mom had told me is in the past, um, the department was willing to get them respite, but that would have meant their kids being split up and being sent to people that they didn't know, um, maybe even sometimes on the other side of the mountains. Yeah, again, that stability thing is needed. Correct. And the amazing thing is, is, is that the hub home providers did not have six bedrooms for these young men, so the foster dad took it upon himself to go and stay in the foster home um, with, the, with the boys so that they could be in their own beds. And, you know, he just took over the, the foster family's routine for them. And they got to go on vacation for the first time in a very long time. Wow, that's really cool. Um, we are talking this morning with Annie Blackledge, the executive director of the Mockingbird Society, and Orion Olson, a network representative the Mockingbird Society, uh, let's tell folks now, online, they can find out more about them, right? They can. Website. The MockingbirdSociety.org. Yeah, um, MockingbirdSociety.org, just all spelled out. Yep. .org means it's a nonprofit, right? Correct. Yeah, must have a Facebook and uh, Twitter presence, right? Uh, Facebook can be found at, at MB Society, and Twitter is at MB underscore Society. Great. Um as you were talking about the families and the hubs and that some of them foster parents like they need this <laughs> break and the and the support so as a uh, using this family model and the hub and the satellites do those parents last longer as foster parents i mean some foster parents they do it they do it for a while and they say i can't do it anymore yeah it's 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 um it's it's a hard uh, vocation well, it's, a, it's a real deep calling for a, a human being to muster that up and be dedicated for so long. Can they do it for so long? Well, do you um, want to talk about our evaluation? Well, in the Mockingbird family model, uh, we have a retention rate of 94% versus Washington State's 63% of foster parents. Yeah, so yeah. we've been proven to retain foster parents. Well, that's awesome. You keep data like that. Uh, we, we had a... a, a evaluation done by the Washington State Institute for Public Policy, um, and they discovered that we had um, a very high retention rate, um, which is almost unheard of in this field. Well, so, so this model you've got, is it elsewhere? Is it unique? Are you kind of built on somebody else's? or? Yeah, well, really, it is based, like Orion had said, on that extended family concept. Um, so when a young person goes to the hub for their respite, that's like going to Grandma and Grandpa's house. Nice. They know where the Cheerios are. They right. know where the PlayStation is. You know, um, it's a comfortable... Familiar, comfortable feeling to this. Yeah, Yeah, and we have 22 constellations um, across, the, um, across the state. We're mainly on the west side of the yeah, state 18. right now. Yeah, 18. 
18. Uh, 18, but then um, Catholic Community Services has a couple as well. Oh, you're well. still growing. So yeah. We are. So to encourage this and the growth, um, you need to change the, like you said, it's in regions the way foster care is done. You, you're an advocacy group, so do you, how do you do that? How do you get those changes through bureaucracies? I mean, sometimes it, that must seem like pushing a boulder up a hill. Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> let me start by saying that, you know, it, somebody once told me it's always better to be the, the guy from out of town. You're never a prophet <laughs> in your own land. Right. Um, this model has actually been undertaken by the United Kingdom. Um, in the four years that they've been in operation, they have almost 50 constellations up and running. We've been doing this work in Washington State since 2004. And um, as I said, we only have 22 mm. up and running. Um, it does cost money. Um, we value those hub homes um, as um, providers. Um, and we do pay them a stipend every month to provide that support to that constellation of families. We believe at the back end there is a return on investment um, when you don't have to keep recruiting new foster parents, um, when, you know, you have folks who are familiar with working with young people and, you know, they can get the respite. Those foster hubs um, help with transportation and all kinds of good stuff. But I will say we're not done um, developing our model. Um, as we were talking about mobility earlier, um, one of the most important things to me, because I know it impacted me in foster care as well, was all the moving. And we believe that um, children and young people should be kept in their home communities. Sixty percent of us go back home. And when we go back home, most of the time we go back as a deficit, at a deficit. Oh. They say that, you know, young people lose three to six months of academic achievement every time they move. Yeah, so that, that I don't know, goal to try and keep a, a kid in the same school is counterproductive when his foster home might be 45 miles away and they bus a kid back and forth or so, hoping that we're doing the right thing. But, man, that's tough. So is something tell, tell me about Kent is Kent doing yes. something a little better than that or you've got something going on there right We do we have an incredible community group that's come together um, we have uh, business leaders we have representative Tina Orwall we have the school district we have uh, other service provider partners who have made a commitment to um, keeping their kids in Kent. 80% of young people in the last 15 years and children who've come into care in Kent have been placed outside of Kent. Man, uh, yeah, man, that just that shakes your head. I just, man. It really does. And seeing as most of us go home, the, the, the main goal of foster care is really to reunify families. And uh, it, that's really hard to do when maybe mom or dad are in, you know, one area and the child's been placed 70 miles away. Yeah. How do you do visitation? How do we do um, siblings visitation? Um, how, you know, it, it's just very difficult. And I, Ryan, you can tell me if I'm wrong or not here, but at least from in my experience, even when we have a tough home life, most kids figure out like sort of protective factors in their community. There's a teacher or a guidance counselor or a church, um, things that we're connected to. Oh, um, yeah. And we lose all that, right, mm -hmm. when we go into care most of the time. So this is about this community making a commitment to keeping their children in their home communities. Um, so did the Mockingbird Society, like, say, here's we're going to try this with all of these different agencies in 
one city in Kent said, yeah, we'll try that here, or did yes. or were they already doing that? Oh, no, so no, you, they came th- to us. This is the work you guys are doing, really saying, feet on the ground, look, here, this will help, this will help, and you go from door to door and knock from office to office, is that? Correct. Oh, wow. Correct, and we'll be doing something a little revolutionary. I really do believe this, I have to tell you, that this is the, the future of foster care everywhere. Um, You know, the UK is having the same problems we're having. Every state is having the same problems. And if we want better outcomes for children and young people, we have to keep them in their home communities. And again, we are talking this morning with the Mockingbird Society online, mockingbirdsociety.org, all spelled out. And another big aspect of what you guys do, and we're talking about making changes and talking people into doing things differently, is you actually go down to Olympia, right? And you take mm-hmm. youths. I mean, this is, their voice has to be heard. People from, uh, with a foster background have to be heard. And how does, how does Olympia, I mean, you guys do this once a year at least, right? Well, this is Orion's um, area of so, expertise. Orion, but... you go down there and knock on some legislator's <laughs> door and say, hey, I got something to tell you? Um, not quite like that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to hear about um, it. So, uh what we do is we have a yearly efficacy cycle starting in, uh, in, in March and May. So that's our identifying challenges. So um, we ask our youth to come up with um, I- reform ideas that they want to see happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, we then move into, through June and August, defining solutions. And we also brainstorm with them. At, with what they come up with possible solutions to those challenges that have come up. And in, uh, we also we have a big annual event called Youth Leadership Summit. Yes, and, and that's coming up um, August 7th. Really nervous because it's my first time. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that is when our youth will be proposing our their ideas of Reform ideas for this next legislative. Yeah, so the session is. Yeah, session. It, they only do it in the spring, but you guys start <laughs> in the spring and work throughout the spring, the summer, and the winter to decide how you approach them the next year. I guess mm-hmm. that's it takes that long, doesn't it? Just to get one little idea into somebody's office. Uh, are there are they receptive? I mean, when you go to Olympia, are, do they say, ah, "I'm talking to the big lobbyists who spend a lot of money, kid," or do they say, "Yeah, come on in"? I mean, or maybe you get everything. I don't know. Well, you joined us last year for our big youth advocacy day. So after Summit, we move in to finding champions for our bills and determining whether it's legislative or if it's administrative advocacy that we can do directly. Mm. Um, But you joined us for Youth Advocacy Day where we bring over 300 young people from around the state to come and talk with their lawmakers. Will you talk a little bit about your experience, Oren? Yeah, it was exciting. It was Snowmageddon that day. Oh, Um, (laughs) Oh, that late snow in the spring. Yeah. We all woke uh, woke up so early, especially Yakima. They were up before like 12 a.m. trying to get over here. Yeah, that sounds... Was um, it February that it was so... February 8th, yeah. Um, It was really exciting. I got to be MC for this uh, event and... um, we started off in one big, uh, uh, in the meeting room of church and um, kind of went over what w- was going to happen for the day. And then we had our groups uh, split up and go off into their meetings with the senators. And it was really exciting. Um, 
also nervous because um, first time. Uh, but uh, it was really nice when I went to my assigned senator. We spoke with the representative, but because he was already booked in, but he was really excited when he came out for a second to just say hi and say, I love Mockingbird's work. I love being um, supportive of their agendas. And um, it was really encouraging to hear that. And so that does sound encouraging, but I wonder, is that just, um, you know, politicians, they glad hand everybody and smile. Does anything get done? What what achievements have you, can you tell us the success <laughs> stories about uh, um, the Mockingbird Society and, so and Olympia? There was a actually very good example um, was uh, another colleague of mine's group was uh, assigned to uh, Representative Sen, Tana Sen. And uh, she had been uh, on the fence about our uh, Senate Bill 5290, mm -hmm. which would end the jailing of minors for non-criminal offenses. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, she, she took on to, like, Facebook and, like, social media about after their uh, meeting was that um, it was due to the youth in that group sharing their personal stories uh, uh, about, like, why that should not be a thing uh, that made her uh, like really passionate about it and like and become a champion become a, a champion and so that bill 5290 that made it through session this year it did um, it was an incredible did he, he already did oh good yeah it was quite the roller coaster ride I mean the dedication mm -hmm. of our legislative champions um, is incredible um, the bill uh, got stuck a couple of times along the way, and Representative Noel Frame and Representative Tana Sen um, really went the extra mile um, to, to see that this bill got passed. So and they had been... Darnell too? And Senator Darnell, mm -hmm. yeah. So they had been putting kids, I mean, actually locking them up, what they thought for their own protection to take them out of some situation, but they hadn't, <laughs> they hadn't committed a crime, but essentially they were being housed like they were criminals. Is that what you were fixing here? That's, you know, that's exactly it. It's intent versus impact. Yeah, um, that's right. You and, mentioned that before. Yeah, it's, and young people um, would be put into detention. You mm -hmm. want to talk about sort of the things that they could be put in detention for? Uh, for running away from a foster care placement, being truant for from school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, it's also an example of one, sh one shoe size doesn't fit all because um, there is some testimony about against about why Senate, uh, like re the jailing minors should continue, which was uh, there's an example that was said that um, a youth had said if it hadn't been for detention that they never would have stopped acting out. But that's not true for everybody. Yeah, that is not. Wow. Hey, we're going to have to wrap it up here. We, we've talked about uh, the Mockingbird Society, and I think time has gone by so fast. Anything we need to say uh, a second time or some big point we left out that we can say here in a minute or so? I guess I would just say that we have um, lots and lots of support out there from our partners and things, and um, it does take a village. We, we need everyone um, with us on this because while we were able to lead these successful reforms, it took a lot of people to um, help us get over that, um, get over that hump. And um, Orion, do you want to talk a little bit about the event we have coming up this fall? Uh, yeah, I would uh, really love to meet anybody who would like to join us for our, our two, 2019 luncheon is it? on October 4th, 1130 to 115. And um, they 
Sign up on our website. Sign right? up on our website for advocacy alerts. Uh, subscribe to print or digital version of the Mockingbird Times, which is our newspaper. And that's really cool because it's uh, youth and young adults and also network reps writing and submitting uh, articles about ex- their experiences in foster care and or homelessness. You can also uh, find it in Real Change. Our partners at Real Change oh. include the Mockingbird Times in their pu- in their publication. That's a good place for it. You know, the, it's so nice to see that the youth are involved in this uh, organization. It is not a bunch of adults saying, here's what's best for kids. It is youth with their own voice, and I think that is so great about the Mockingbird Society. Gosh, I can't thank you guys enough for being here today. We have been talking with Annie Blackledge. She's the executive director and Orion Olson, network representative with the Mockingbird Society. Again, people go online, mockingbirdsociety.org. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. You'll find out more about them. And gosh, a shout-out for more uh, need for foster parents and families, right? I mean, we didn't even touch that, but... That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's a big deal. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you Thanks for having us. us. I am so thankful for, for you guys to be in. A bigger thanks for what the Mockingbird Society is doing for children in foster care here in Washington. If you'd like to hear this interview again, it will be available on Podcast One and iTunes within a few days. I am Gary Scheip. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.